Proverbs chapter 6, and we're going to begin at verse 20. My son, keep thy father's commandment and forsake not the law of thy mother. Bind them continually upon thine heart and tie them about thy neck. Why? When thou goest, it shall lead thee. When thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. And when thou wakest, it shall talk with thee. For the commandment is a lamp. And the law is light. And reproofs of instruction are the way of life. Would you say that last phrase with me, beginning with the word reproofs? Reproofs of instruction are the way of life. Father, guide me as I preach and help me to be a help to the young people. Thank you for your goodness and grace to us. Bless and help us to be obedient and responsive to what you tell us. Empower me by your spirit. Bind Satan and his demons. You said they always want to come snatch away the seed of your word. And may we determine we're going to listen on purpose and be good ground and receive what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. May be seated. The message last night was the request is, Lord, cleanse me. Last night was, Lord, cleanse me. Today is, Lord, correct me. The uh, natural tendency of man is to resist reproof. We don't like it. Harold Seidler was a great preacher, founded, started the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Greenville, South Carolina, founded the Southwide Baptist Fellowship. And he had a, a little college there. And back in those days, three-button suits were common. And if you had a three-button suit, you'd normally button the top two buttons. Leave the bottom button unbuttoned, two-button suit. Normally button the top button, leave the bottom button unbuttoned. And a guy came in, young student, kind of heavy set, and he had his two bottom buttons of his suit buttoned. And looked kind of stupid. And Dr. Seitler said, son, button the top two buttons, not the bottom two buttons. And he kind of rolled his eyes and he buttoned the top two buttons and unbuttoned the bottom button. And Dr. Seitler walked away and he immediately put his suit back to buttoning the two bottom buttons. And began to look stupid again. Didn't like reproof. There was a man when I was in college, he was the dean of the College of Arts and Sciences. His name was Gunter Salter. Dr. Salter was an amazing man. As a 15-year-old, he'd fought in Hitler's army in Germany, been captured by the United States, and then fought in the United States Army in World War II as well. Intelligent man, but he had some of that uh, German pride. There was a large road that walked down from where chapel was in the auditorium to the dining hall, and people had developed the habit of walking down the street because there's so many people going, it was kind of crowded on the sidewalk. So the security people decided it was bad to have people walking on the road, and so they, they, they said, you can't walk in the road, got to walk on the sidewalk, and they had cops out there. They were, they were university police officers, but they, they had guns, and, and they were trained. This particular uh, officer had been a police officer in civilian life before he went to college. His name was Jack Cripps, and he was there assigned to tell people if he's walking the sidewalk, and Dr. Salter's walking down the street, and, and the officer said, sir, I need to ask you to walk on the sidewalk. He just kept walking down the street. He said, sir, I'm sorry, I need to ask you to walk on the sidewalk. We're not walking on the road anymore. And he said, walking down the street, and he said, sir, I'm very sorry. You're going to have to walk on the sidewalk. And he said, I am Dr. Salter. And the cop said, I'm Jack Cripps, and you've got to walk on the sidewalk. <laughs> we don't naturally like reproof. We don't naturally like rules. How many of you have read the handbook? Wasn't that exciting? 
How many said, wow, I hate for this to end. I wish there was another chapter. I didn't read any rules about whether the pillow can be on top of the outward cover or has to be underneath it in my bed when I make it. I wish there was a rule about that. I wish they had more rules for dress, like, you know, whether or not you wear a striped shirt or a plain shirt or had to have a spread collar or a point collar. And I wish there was, I mean, I wish there was more rules. We don't like it. The Bible tells us here about a requirement. It says uh, the commandment is a lamp and the law is a light. Now, these requirements are clear. A good teacher will begin the year by saying, here is what is expected of you in this class this year. You'll have to read this many pages. You'll have to write this many papers. You'll have to know this. Uh, I, 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 I might get in trouble with somebody here. I never, whenever I taught, I never liked the idea of trying to trick people on the exam. I tell them, let's give me an exam. My goal is to transfer truth. And here's what you need to know. If you know this, you'll pass. If you don't know it, you'll fail. I just want, I give them clear expectations. When I teach a class, I tell the kids everything's going to be on the test. Because that's what I want them to take away from the class. And if they know it for the test, they probably know it. And that's what I do. Some of you have been in my classes know that. It's clear. We don't like it, but it's really important. Imagine that on the freeways in California, there were no lane lines. Just one big expanse of concrete or asphalt. And everybody's kind of, I've been in countries like that. No lanes and no real laws and everything's a mess and you don't know for sure when to go and when not to go. The, the, the laws kind of help us. Imagine if there were no traffic laws, no lights at the corners of the intersections. No time telling you have to yield to somebody else. No speed limit. I'd kind of like that part. You would have a mess. God gives law to give light. God tells us in his word exactly what he expects of us. Those instructions, those laws are not harmful, though I don't always like them. They're extremely helpful. As a young man, I worked while I was in college for a company called Dunright Construction. If there was ever a wrongly named company. It was done right construction. The owner had been a floor sander in Michigan. He went to South Carolina. And at that time, you didn't have to have a license to be a contractor. Didn't have to have any uh, approval by the government. Didn't have to pass any tests. You just call yourself a contractor. Uh, one day he said, I want you guys to shingle a house. And he didn't tell us how. And we, we shingled the house by the, by the second side of the house. We had it figured out how to keep the rows straight. Uh, the trouble is we did the front side of the house first, and it just kind of went all like that. Because there wasn't any instruction. He said, have you ever trimmed out a house? I said, no, sir. He took two pieces of trim, cut one out of 45, cut the other 45, stopped in the corner, said, do that. And he left. I wasted so much trim trying to figure out how to make the corners even and how to make it fit and how to get it right. He, he said one time, have you ever done electrical work? I said, no, sir. He said, well, move that, that plug from there to there. I didn't know much about electricity. I knew it, I knew it could be shocking. So I took a rubber-handled screwdriver and I touched one side of the plug and nothing happened. And I touched the other side of the plug and nothing happened. So I reached out and grabbed the plug. 
At which point I discovered the principle of a completed circuit. <laughs> I wish somebody had given me a little more instruction. He said, have you ever laid block? I said, no, sir. And he, he said, you make some order and you slap it down and you put the block in. We made the block wall in the apartment building we were building as best we could, but we didn't know that it mattered how stiff your mortar was and, and we didn't make the mortar stiff enough and the bricks would go like this and then they go like this. We had a psychedelic wall. He had to hire a mason to come and level it out and make it level by the top of the wall. He said one day, have you ever used a chainsaw? I said, no, sir. So he just kind of started the chainsaw and gave it to me. The first tree I cut down knocked out the power to an old man's dirty old trailer. The old man was very nice and very kind. And he said, don't worry about it, son. We'll call the company to get it fixed. The second tree I cut down landed on his trailer. Do you think maybe if I had had more law, I would have had more light? God gives us clear requirements, consistent requirements. I am the Lord God, I change not. Let me tell you, Psalm 103 makes an amazing statement. It said that God made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. It's one thing to know what God does. It's another thing to know why he does it. If you understand God's ways, if you understand what God thinks is right and what God says is wrong, if you understand how God operates, if you understand how God wants you to behave in different situations, if you get the principles of the Word of God down, you can figure out what to do in any situation. See, in the Bible, there's a hierarchy of truth, in my opinion. There are commandments, thou shalt, thou shalt not, that's the highest. Then there are principles. Not commandments, but principles. Be ye kind one to another. Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Principles. Now, there are not enough commandments to cover every situation, but there are enough Bible principles to cover every situation. And then there are examples. God's commandments and God's principles are consistent. They're eternal. And they're character-based. All the laws are based on the character and the nature of God. That's what it means when it says all of sin comes short of the glory of God, not of the standards of society, not of the edicts of the elite, not of the, the, the facts of the philosophers, but of the glory of God. And, and God gives us requirements. We pretty much understand that. And then he gives us reproof. The word reproof means to chastise, it means to correct. The reproofs of instruction, the word instruction means a warning, it means a restraint, it means discipline. Now, here's where you're going to succeed or fail in your life as a student at West Coast Baptist College and as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. It'll all depend on how you respond to reproof. You will be reproved. I saw Brother Chapel stop a young man walking across the campus, had sunglasses on. Dr. Chapel said, Don't wear those sunglasses. I want people to be able to see your eyes. Well, is there a rule in the handbook against sunglasses? Brother Chapel, tell me, I shouldn't wear those sunglasses. And the young man said, Yes, sir. I don't like that. I don't like anybody telling me what to do. I know the reproofs are always unpleasant. 
They're not nice. They're not enjoyable. Uh, I, I had a joke I heard from another preacher. And I told it in a particular sermon. Every time I preached the sermon. And I preached that sermon at Tim Rasmussen's church. And Brother Gregory came up to me afterward. And he was so kind. He was their song leader for many years. Had a printing business. He's in heaven now. Wonderful Christian man. And he very kindly said, Dr. Willette, would you do me a favor? I said, well, sure, Brother Gregory. What is it? He said, would you please consider not telling that joke anymore? And he thought that the joke might make somebody have a, an improper thought. I hadn't thought that. I thought the way I told the joke was fine. And I said, sure, Brother Gregory. Now, that's not what I thought inside. I thought, oh, brother, come on. I've been telling this joke all over the country. Nobody said a word about it. And then I said to Pastor Tim Rasmussen, Brother Greg Rasmussen, to tell that joke. He said, you know, Brother Lett, I'd never said anything, but I, I felt a little funny about it when you told it. And I said, I promise I'll never tell that joke in that sermon again. So I tell it in different sermons. <laughs> no, I don't. I never tell it. I, I'd tell it to somebody individually and let them see what they thought about it. But I, 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 I didn't like it. But it was helpful to me. And here I found that something I thought bothered nobody, at least bothered two people that I had a very high opinion of. It's unpleasant, but it's unavoidable. You will never succeed at anything unless you accept reproof. You know how I learned to drive? I got in the car and my dad told me what I did wrong. You know how I learned to play the trumpet? The teacher kept telling me what notes were wrong, what time was wrong, what tone was wrong, and giving me exercises to improve them. And I, I liked playing the trumpet. I didn't like all the practice. and didn't have to do long tone scales. Eight beats on one note. Da. Da. I didn't like it. But I'm not going to learn to play the trumpet unless I listen to the reproof. All of the laws of West Coast Baptist College, all of the rules, all of the instructions of your dorm soup and the deans and your teachers and the administrators, all of them have a purpose from God in your life. Now, they may not all be right. Some of them are not moral. They're not biblical. They're just organizational. There's nothing right or wrong about where you park. But it's right to leave parking for the guests when they come. And even if you don't agree with that, that's the rule. But every time I respond correctly to reproof, it strengthens me and helps me. A young man came on staff at Lancaster Baptist Church. He was a graduate of Crown College. Dr. Chapel was a little reluctant to hire him. And the young man said, no, I think it's the will of God for me to be here. And, and uh, you conduct every, uh, every six months a Sunday school teacher. What do you call it? A clinic for the teachers? What's it called? A clinic for Sunday school teachers. And he was in charge of one of those. And after it was done at Saturday clinic, Dr. Chapel said to the young man, that is the worst clinic we've ever had. Oh, thank you very much. That makes you feel great, doesn't it? What would you say if somebody said that to you? 
You wrote a paper that you said the worst term paper I've ever seen. You sang a special and the music teacher said that is the worst solo I have ever heard. You preach a sermon and the homiletics instructor says that's the worst sermon anybody's ever preached. That's not very nice. And the young man said, thank you. Help me do better. <laughs> His name was Tim Christensen. He served on staff at the Lancaster Baptist Church for 18 years. He became the administrative pastor. He oversaw the construction of the largest building on this property, the Walther Center, a $10 million project. He became an expert at organization. He would put together all the logistics and details of the leadership conference. And then he felt impressed to the Lord to go into the pastorate. And four years ago, he became pastor at the Bible Baptist Church in Howell, Michigan. I preached for him last Sunday. The church was running 80 when he went there. It's running 240 now, two morning services. Everything's sharp when you drive onto the property. And they're about to buy a beautiful 46-acre parcel that's on the main road in Livingston County and about a half mile from the entrance ramp on the I-96 and about a quarter mile from the busiest intersection in Livingston County. I wonder where he'd been if he hadn't accepted reproof. There's a requirement, there's a reproof, and there's a result. It's the way of life. That's interesting. We don't think of rules as being life-giving. We think of rules as being restrictive and restraining and keeping us from having a good time. But God said, no, 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 no. I'm not about restraint. I'm not about being harsh unnecessarily. I'm not about uh, keeping people unhappy and miserable. I'm about life. I'm come. They might have life, Jesus said, and have it more abundantly. God is the giver of life. He's the creator of life. He wants us to have everlasting life. And he wants us to enjoy life on this earth. And the best life in the world is a life that is lived in the will of God and the service of Jesus Christ. The proofs of instruction are the way of life. If you'll follow the reproofs, you'll have a life with a purpose. See, the law and the reproof give you guidance. They tell you where you should go. I heard a preacher tell a story about being a young man having an art project assigned in elementary school. He decided he'd had a few choices. He'd make a soap carving. So he went down to his basement with a bar of ivory soap and he got out his pocket knife and he, uh, he started to carve on the ivory soap. He just made two mistakes, he said. Number one, he didn't decide what it was he was going to carve. Number two, he didn't trace an outline of what it was he was going to carve on the soap bar. He just kept whittling away. And he said that as he carved, the, the two things happened. Number one, the soap bar took on some really interesting shapes. And he was just sure that any minute a lion or a bear or something was going to pop out of that ivory soap bar. But he said a second thing happened. His bar of soap got shorter, smaller, littler, and pretty soon. There's just one little piece left and he kind of squished it between his thumb and forefinger. And went, he wiped his knife off on his blue jeans and put it back in his pocket. He went outside to play. His mother came down into the house and she said, Junior, 
Whatever in the world is all this mess? He said, that's my soap carving, Mom. And then he said this. I don't want to come to the end of my life. A life that had some interesting things take place and looked like maybe something good was going to come out of it, but I never had a purpose and I never had a direction and I never followed a plan. And there'll be that last little bit and God will say, now stand at the judgment seat and the Lord Jesus say, whatever in the world is all this mess. And I have to say, that's my life, Lord. That's my life. The reproofs for instruction are the way of life. The law is a light. The commandment is a light. The commandment is a light and the law is a lamp. It gives me direction. It gives me purpose. A life that's purposeful. A life that's productive. I preached a singles conference a couple of weeks ago at First Baptist Church of Hammond. Had dinner one night with a young man from Iowa named David Harder. 34 years old. He's a builder. I, he, I said, what do you do? He said, well, I'll do about everything. And I, he was kind of uh, not very self-promoting, but I asked him a few questions, found out he built in Iowa a house worth $459,000. That's a lot of house in Iowa. And we got chatting, we talked about tools a little bit, and, and, uh, and then he, he said, yeah, he said, uh, it's hard to get good workers. He said, the young people, they, they don't like to be told what to do. I'm gonna tell you tomorrow, I'll just remind you now, you're not special. <laughs> no, you're ordinary. Everybody's the same. We're all made of clay. We're all made of the dust of the ground. What makes us special is what God does with us. It's not who we are, it's whose we are. And, uh, and it's nothing intrinsic about you. He told about a young man who had been doing some electrical wiring, wasn't doing it correctly. And he, he said, now, you got to do this and this. And he said, the guy went out, out of the room and just pouted. Because he wouldn't receive instruction. You'll never be productive if you don't let somebody teach you how to do it right. Rode on the airplane one time with a man, witnessed to him, found out he was an assistant coach for the University of Tennessee's basketball team, at, which that time was a very highly rated program. I don't know where they are now, but they were doing really well then. He was going to Saginaw, Michigan to recruit a young man who had grown up in the inner city, didn't have a father, and had a lot of talent. And I said, uh, how does that work for you? He said, it very seldom works when we get that kind of recruit. He said, if they weren't raised to receive instruction, if they weren't raised to do what they were told, if they didn't grow up with character, he said, they very seldom succeed in our program. Because if you can't be coached, you can't succeed. If you can't be taught, you can't improve. So let me give you some recommendations here based on what we've seen in the scripture. Number one, remember past corrections. That's a little indelicate maybe. I hope you'll forgive me. But uh, how many of you when you were young used to suck your thumb? Thumb suckers, okay. I never sucked my thumb. I sucked my middle two fingers. How many of you one day just said, you know, I need to grow up and mature and I'm going to stop sucking my thumb? Let me just decide it on your own. I'm not going to be a thumb sucker anymore. No. 
Your parents said, don't suck your thumb, don't suck your thumb, don't suck your thumb. My parents wrapped stuff around my fingers. My parents put hot things on my fingers so that I wouldn't want to suck them. I sucked it off and sucked them anyway. I think that's why I like hot stuff today. I may be a gringo, but I like jalapenos and habaneros. <laughs> Imagine if you had never gotten over that. You'd be sitting there today. Amen. So, hey, do you want to go to lunch with me? Sure. Your book pictures. That wasn't your idea. It wasn't something you thought of as a correction from authority. You could think of a lot of things. I don't think, uh, this is really indelicate, but I don't think anybody in here uh, is self-trained as regarded, regards toilet training. Your parents taught you that. They made a big deal about it. It wasn't your idea, but I'm really glad uh, somebody taught me that, and at least for now I don't have to wear depends. Remember past corrections. Were there sometimes somebody told you something, you didn't particularly like it, didn't particularly agree with it, but it turned out they were right? Remember past corrections. Number two, respect the person authority in authority as God's instrument in your life. Romans 13 says, He is the minister of God to thee for good. Talking about human authority. Talking about secular authority. Talking about governmental authority. Now, I want you to understand this. Even if the person in authority is wrong, God's going to use them for good in your life. This is thankworthy, man, for God, of your conscience toward God. Endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when you be buffered, if you're false, you take it patiently. But if you do well and suffer for it and take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. God uses people's wrong to do the right thing in my life if I respond correctly. So remember that all the authorities God places in your life are his instruments for good in your life. Dr. Chapel is the instrument of God to thee for good. Would you say that when they say, Dr. Chapel is the instrument of God to me for good. Say it out loud. Dr. Chapel is the instrument of God to me for good. Uh, Dr. Getch is the instrument of God to you for good. Say that. Dr. Getch is the instrument of God to me for good. Uh, Dr. Rasmussen is the instrument of God to you for good. Say that. Dr. Rasmussen is the instrument of God to me for good. Dr. Shetler is the instrument of God to you for good. Say that. Dr. Shetler is the instrument of God to me for good. Brother Williams is the instrument of God to you for good. Say that, guys. Brother Williams is the instrument of God to me for good. Brother Montana is the instrument of God to you for good. Say that, guys. Brother Montana is the instrument of God to me for good. Uh, Mrs. Dinky, ladies, is the instrument of God to you for good. Say that. Mrs. Dinky is the instrument of God to me for good. My dorm supervisor. Say that with me. Ouch. My dorm supervisor, say it, is the instrument of God to me for good. Your success or failure is going to be determined by your ability to respond to reproof. You'll be corrected about all kinds of things. You won't like most of it, but it'll all help you. And the third recommendation is this. Respond right outwardly, even though you don't feel right inwardly. So that's hypocrisy. No, no, that's obedience. 
The Bible says, commit thy works unto the Lord and thy thoughts shall be established. Most people live this way. They act the way they act because they feel the way they feel. But there's another way to live. You can act the way you act because the Bible says to you, and after a while your feelings will come along. Give me thy works unto the Lord and thy thoughts will be established. Well, that makes sense to me. And I just can't do it with them if I don't understand it. Yeah, you can. Just do it and you'll understand it later on. Respond right outwardly even if you don't feel right inwardly. I don't know if Brother Chapel knows this, so don't tell him. I got a call. I've been privileged to preach at the Leadership Conference for many, many years. I think I preached here the first time in 1996, and then it was back in 98, and I've been here every year since that, I think. And sometimes Brother Chapel had me preach Sunday morning or Sunday night, and sometimes not. So I got a call from the office, Brother Chapel wants you to preach Sunday night in the church service and Tuesday night. Now, that Sunday was my 40th wedding anniversary. I've been there 46 years. It was about six years ago. So it wasn't great. wasn't my ideal. And Chrissy wasn't going to go with me at that time. So I, uh, I celebrated the anniversary early, jumped in an airplane on Saturday, got down to preach Sunday night. But there was a mix-up somewhere. And though people in the office said, yeah, we, we'd asked you to preach Sunday night, that's what we were told. Somehow when I got there, I was not preaching Sunday night. Wonderful young preacher named Carrie Nance was preaching. Well, Sam Davison was here at that meeting, and he found out what had happened. I missed my 40th wedding anniversary to come to a meeting where I wasn't doing anything. And my inward thought was, good grief, I could have stayed home. Could have had an anniversary with my wife, could have got an airplane Monday morning and been here for the service of Monday night and preached on Tuesday night. Man, what a pain in the And I said to Brother Davison, well, I'm going to sit on the front row and say amen. And I sat in the front row and said amen. <laughs> said, you feel good? No, I felt awful. I felt irritated. I, I felt disgusted. I felt disappointed. I felt like I had robbed my wife of a 40th anniversary on the exact day together for no good reason. There was a, a fellowship at Brother Chapel's home afterwards, and I said to Brother Davison, I think I'm just going to go back to the room. And he said, no, you don't have to do that. You can go to the I said, And I said, no, Brother Davison, when things like this happen, I usually respond correctly outwardly, but it takes me a while to get straightened out inside. <laughs> so I went back to the room. I talked to my wife. She said, how'd the service go? <laughs> it, was, it was really good. <laughs> And she was not any more happy about the mess up than I was. Didn't like it. But after a little bit, because I did right on the outside, I eventually felt right on the inside. God's in charge. God knows, knows what he's doing. God's got a purpose for this. It's not the worst thing that's ever happened to anybody. The reproofs of instruction are the way of life. How many of you know Ken Shaver? Does anybody know Pastor Ken Shaver? Ken Shaver flew Black Hawk helicopters in the, in, in the service. In fact, he taught people how to fly Black Hawk helicopters. We got out of the service. He was in charge of the, of the uh, FAA, the Federal Administration Aviations, for other countries to make sure they complied with U.S. regulations if U.S. flights were coming in. All the, all the FAAs in the, in the world, outside the U.S. Big job. He's somebody. Tough guy. Brother Schaefer 
when they had a strike in the Bahamas and the air traffic controllers went on strike, he was the one who kept the planes flying there. And he was in Oklahoma and he had felt led of the Lord to join a, a church pastor by a man named Jim Vineyard. Now Jim Vineyard is a tough old guy. He was in the army, I think he was a Green Bray or something like that. And he was no nonsense. And Brother Shaver and Brother Vineyard went on a fishing trip. Brother Shaver's boys were with him. And Brother Vineyard said, uh, Brother Shaver, you're doing a good job with your boys. Keep doing what you're doing with your boys. They'll be all right. And that was high, high praise coming from Jim Vineyard. One day, Brother Shaver was home and a couple of staff members, the school principal, another man came by their house. And uh, he knew it wasn't going to be good. He said, uh, Robin, you go to Walmart. I'll call you when you come back. And they said, Brother Shaver, as is our custom, we're just making our annual visit to the parents who homeschool and ask what they're planning to do with their children for school next year. Brother Shaver said, well, I'm going to follow the advice of my preacher. He told me to keep doing what I'm doing with my boys. They homeschooled on purpose. They're very good at it. It was a belief of theirs that was best for their children. There was a Christian school there, but they didn't feel that was the best place for their kids. A little time went by, and one night, Brother Vineyard in the church service said, Shaver, I want to see you in my office after church. Brother Shaver was not on staff for Brother Vineyard. He was a volunteer leading the singing and helping in the church. Strong man. High position. And he went into the office, and Brother Vineyard said, Shaver, I want you to put your kids in our school. Ken Shaver Went home to his wife, Robin. He said, sweetheart, we're going to put the kids in the school. It won't be best for them, but it won't be bad for them. He said, we believe God led us to this church, and he put us under the leadership of Jim Vineyard. And our pastor is not asking us to do anything that is wrong or unscriptural, and we're going to do it. Ken Shaver's words to me, I almost lost my marriage over that. But the kids turned out good. His one daughter's married young man is probably going to become the next pastor at the church he started in Hopkinsville, Kentucky. And he, after 15 years there, starting from scratch, beautiful buildings, great facility, taking another church in Owensboro, Kentucky. Another son that went off to the mission field and and Ken Shaver said to me, I would not have the ministry I have today if I had not submitted to my pastor. And the Bible's pretty clear about it. The reproofs of instruction are the way of life.